Hi, good morning. Um, yeah, afternoon, right. Um, great. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Noel. Um, I've been coming here for about a year now. Um, my husband is Tom, um, he's a youth pastor, and he's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to be talking a bit about hospitality this morning. Um, we had our hospitality series back in May, um, but this one needed to get moved to now. So if you were glad we had moved past hospitality, I'm sorry, we're, we're back. Um, um, yeah, I, I want to look at this. I find this really interesting because personally, this isn't something that comes super easy to me. I'm quite an introverted person. Um, when I think about my home and opening it to people, to me, my home is more um, a place that I escape from the world rather than a place that I would invite the world into. Um, so, but I did actually this last year, yeah, I got married to an extrovert. So I'm, I'm dealing with the consequences of that now. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we have, um, we have the youth home groups at our house. So Tuesday nights when I get home from work, there's 10 youth in my living room um, and I'm getting used to that. And um, we're having people over. So in this season of my life for the last year, I've been probably the most hospitable than I've ever been. Um, and so this is something that I'm growing into, not something that necessarily comes naturally to me. Um, but today I want to talk a bit about how Jesus used um, eating and drinking with people, how he used the meal um, to bring justice to the world, to love the poor, to love the oppressed, to love the outcast, um, and why um, having a meal together, why communing with people at a table is the representation um, of the kingdom of God that Jesus gave to us. Um, it was a, an expression of the gospel that Jesus showed to the world. Um, there's this great, great quote I found um, from a New Testament scholar. His name is Robert Karras. And he says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Um, so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, how did Jesus, how did Jesus' eating with, um, he ate sometimes with um, who you would think he would eat with as a rabbi. He ate with um, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time. But then sometimes he ate with uh, tax collectors and prostitutes, which in that time would have been a really strange thing. Wouldn't have been something that a rabbi would do. Um, so I just want to look a little bit at that. So let's start. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. Um, we're going to start by looking at the story of Zacchaeus, which is a really fun story. I'm not going to go too into it because Al spoke on Zacchaeus back in May um, for his sermon in hospitality, and it was really good. It's definitely worth listening to again um, if you haven't listened to that one. Um, but I'm specifically interested in a couple things in this passage. So if you, you probably know the story, but Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus is walking along. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. I was actually reading about this, and in the Greek, it's not actually clear whether Zacchaeus is the short one or Jesus is the short one, um, which I found fascinating because I've always thought Jesus is tall, um, but maybe he's not. But anyway, so, so he's walking along, and, and Zacchaeus climbs this tree so he can see Jesus, and Jesus stops when he reaches the spot that Zacchaeus is at. He looks up, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people who were there saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So Jesus was called a drunken uh, a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of sinners. And he didn't just get that name from anywhere. He got it because he was doing things like this. He was eating with tax collectors. Um, something I find so compelling about this passage is that I think, you know, the crowd is around him and they're grumbling about the fact that he's gone to be 
gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I think the reason is because they hadn't forgiven Zacchaeus. They, they were living in unforgiveness towards this tax collector who was stealing from them. You would think that would make sense. He was taking their money, stealing from them. And that he was living in complete unforgiveness. Zacchaeus probably assumed he would go the rest of his life completely outcast in his society. Um, and that's how he thought he would live. And Jesus, by actually saying, I need to come to your house to have a meal with you and be a guest at your home, was extending forgiveness to Zacchaeus. And I think that was offensive to the people that were around him. It was offensive to, to their society. I want to read you this um, quote. I've been reading this really good book. Um, it's by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and it's a collection of his sermons. It's about 15 of his sermons. Um, and I've been reading it. I want to read you this quote about um, forgiveness. He says, Ask an innocent young lady who, after a moment of overriding passion, becomes the mother of an illegitimate child. She will tell you that society is slow to forgive. Ask a public official who, in a moment's carelessness, betrays the public trust. He will tell you that society is slow to forgive. Go to any prison and ask the inhabitants who have written shameful lines across the pages of their lives. From behind bars, they will tell you that society is slow to forgive. Make your way to death row and speak with the tragic victims of criminality. As they prepare to make their pathetic walk to the electric chair, their hopeless cry is that society will not forgive. Capital punishment is society's final assertion that it will not forgive. And I think that's what's happening here with Zacchaeus. He's surrounded by a society of people that are refusing to forgive him. And Jesus, the beautiful thing, is that Zacchaeus hasn't done anything to apologize. He hasn't said yet. He hasn't said, oh, I'll, I'll repay the people who I've stolen from. I'll repent. I'll, I'll change the way that I'm living. I'll change my heart. He hasn't said anything like that. And Jesus has already extended forgiveness to him. Because in our minds, justice in the situation would be unforgiveness. We would say, well, this man's stealing from me. The thing that I'm going to do to make this right is I'm going to ignore him. He's not going to get treated like everyone else. And that would be the way of the world enacting justice in this situation. But the kingdom's way of justice, Jesus' way of justice is to say, you're forgiven. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Before Zacchaeus has even made any change. I think that's powerful. Um, I think that Jesus is using the meal here specifically um, to extend forgiveness. But I re I'm really interested specifically in this part where, where Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Because he could have said anything to Zacchaeus. He could have just said, repent or change your way or you're forgiven, just like he did to so many other people. Um, but with Zacchaeus, he seemed intent on having a meal with him. He seemed intent on being a guest in his home. So I want to look a little bit at why the meal was so important to Jesus and how he used it. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn. We're going to look at Luke 14. It's the main passage we'll look at today. Um, and we're going to start in right here, verse 7. If you don't have your Bible, you can read on the screen. Um, so just to give some context, this is Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at the house of a leading Pharisee, it says, and it's on the Sabbath. So this is the Sabbath meal. They're eating together at a Pharisee's house. This is kind of more who you would think Jesus would eat with. Um, and he, here we are, verse 7. He notices that the people that he's eating with are trying to pick the places of honor at the table. So they're most likely trying to sit as close to the host as they possibly can because it would make them look good in that situation. Um, and he says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, and then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's speaking to the inequality that's taking place, which is that the people who were the lowest are getting moved to the very end, and I'm taking a seat um, at the very top because I want to be seen. It's, it has to do with status. I want the person that I'm the host to, to know that, and everyone around to know that I'm seated closest to the host. It has to do with um, what I look like. It's very self-centered. It's about me. And Jesus is saying you're using the meal, this beautiful thing that Jesus has given us, which is to sit at a table and fellowship with people. You're using it for the wrong reasons. You're using it to get ahead. Um, you're using it for your own gain. And Jesus is saying in the way of the kingdom, the lowest are actually the ones who are going to be honored the most. So take the seat at the lowest end of the table. I really like this quote um, that I found. Um, it's from Roland Baker. So if you know Heidi Baker, this is Roland, Roland Baker is her husband. Uh, yeah, her husband. And he says this. He says, it's so much fun to be nothing. It's so relaxing to not have to prove anything. It's so wonderful, wonderful to see everybody else doing better than you and being more anointed than you. It's great to bless other people for their success. It's great to be able to compliment people and lift them up. You don't even care where you are at the table because you have a perfect savior. You're set. You have him and you don't need anything else. That's so good. Um, to, that, I could, that I could go to a meal with someone who's invited me over and just not be thinking about myself and be thinking about the other people there more. This is the next one. We'll move on down the passage. Um, so he's at the same, the same dinner, and this time he speaks to the host, and he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, I think this is quite bold, Jesus is saying this to the host, first of all. But again, he's flipping things and saying that you should invite the people that wouldn't normally get invited. And even more, you should invite the people that aren't going to benefit you. Because normally in this time, you would invite people and the relationship would be kind of transactional, right? So I do something for you, you do something for me. Um, but here Jesus is saying, I want you to spend time with the people where you're not going to get anything out of it. It's not going to be for you. It's not going to be to your benefit. Um, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, which is on the east coast of the United States. Um, I don't know if you've heard about Baltimore, but it's not, it's not hard to find the poor and the homeless in Baltimore. You can go a city block and you'll find them. Um, and I, before moving here, I was going to a church in the city in Baltimore. And part of the thing I loved about it is there were the poor were everywhere at my church, and I could name them. I knew them, and I loved that. Um, but something about it is when you actually start to spend time with the poor and the sick. One girl I remember specifically I spent time with almost every week. Um, she had a mental disability. She wasn't working. She was on welfare, um, and she was in and out of the hospital all the time. 
giving my time to this person and having a meal with her, I didn't come away from it always going, wow, that was so great. I really enjoyed that. That was amazing. A lot of the time it was sad. I felt I, felt I couldn't help a ton. A lot of the time it was um, exhausting. It was tiring. I felt weary afterwards. But it, there's something beautiful in giving your time and your money and your resources when you're not going to get anything back. It doesn't benefit you. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is speaking here to us about is that you will be repaid by your father in heaven but at the time it might not feel that way next part uh this is verse 15 so jesus is saying all these things and then someone at the table says to him he says blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of god and jesus replied and he said a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I have to go see it. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. And still another said, I've just gotten married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master and he became very angry. And he said, go out quickly into the streets and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, none of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think this is powerful because it's saying to us that if we're, if we're not including those who are outsiders, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, we are missing the gospel. We are missing the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Um, I think that's powerful. Something I, I want to challenge us with, with this specifically, is this quote my husband used in his sermon a couple of weeks ago I thought was quite good. He said, um, it's Soren Kierkegaard, who said, when you read God's word, you must be constantly saying to yourself, is this talking to me and about me? So when we read this, we could read it and say, God wants us to invite the crippled and the lame, and he does, and that's really good. But also, who are you in this story? Are you one of the people that's making excuses as to why you can't come? Um, are you too satisfied with what you have? Are you too, um, let's say, not poor in spirit, um, that you don't feel that you need to take at what the Lord has for you? Um, or are you one of the poor that he's invited, um, who is brought in to the banquet? Um, who are you in the story, and what is God saying to you through that? Um, I love this passage as well. This one, here I am, this is from Revelation. Um, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I love this because he's saying anyone. Jesus is knocking at the door for every single person and anyone who opens it, he'll come in and eat with them. It's, it's essential. And so the question is, am I the same way? If anyone who's knocking at the door, if someone's knocking at the door and I open it, will I eat with anyone? Um, will I eat with a person that I see on the street uh, who's homeless? Will I eat with someone in my church who isn't like me? Um, will I approach these people and I actually give myself to them, give them my time, give them my resources, my money, my food, um, and give myself to them? Because I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Is that good? Make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so we've seen a bit about what Jesus says about this um, and the importance of the meal. I want to look... 
uh, next at what Paul says. So Jesus would have established this while he was on the earth. He started communion, if you remember the Last Supper. Um, Just to remember that communion, taking communion in the time of Jesus would not have looked like what it looks like now. So it wasn't that you come to church on a Sunday, you get some bread, you get some juice, you go back to your seat, you pray, and you take communion. Um, But it was a meal, right? So at the Last Supper, they ate a full meal, they were sitting around the table, and that was what communion looked like. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to turn there, or I have it here. Um, So Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and what he's saying in this passage is that they would have been coming together to do this thing that Jesus taught them, which was to have a meal together. And what was happening was the rich, who wouldn't have had to have been working as much as the poor, you would say, are getting to the meal first, and they're eating and drinking their fill, and they're getting drunk. And then the poor, who would have been busier working, are coming after later after the rich, and there's nothing left for them. So Paul says, when you come to eat together, this is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? So he says, this thing that you're doing when you're sitting down together is not the Lord's Supper. You think that's what you're practicing, but it's not. And the, the reason is that they're not sharing. It's something as simple as waiting for the person who doesn't have anything to come and eat with you. And instead, they're going ahead. So they're using the meal for their own gain. They're using the meal to satisfy themselves instead of as the beautiful thing that it is of communion and fellowship. And Paul's really upset about this. He actually says in verse 30, he says, It is because of this that some of you are sick and ill, and others of you have even died. Because you're not examining yourself before the meal. You're not examining yourself to say, am I thinking of the other person? Am I thinking of the poor, the needy, and the helpless? So it's a really big deal to Paul. But when this is done in the right way, communion with each other is radical. It's, it's life-changing. The reason that we're looking at this is because when I, when I enact these spiritual disciplines into my life, I'm becoming someone. I'm becoming someone every day that I do this. So you could take it in a different, a different example. Let's say I want to become more patient, um, which I do, definitely. Um, I want to become more patient. I'm not just going to wake up in the morning one day and, and try really hard and I'll become more patient. Um, it won't work. I'll just be probably more frustrated with people. Um, but let's say, that every, let's say I decided that every single day I'm going to do something to wait So I'm going to stand in the longest line at Sainsbury's, even though that's the worst. I'm going to stand in the longest line um, so that I wait. I make myself wait. I deny myself. Or I'm going to drive the speed limit. Crazy, crazy idea. I'm going to drive the speed limit. Um, Or I'm going to, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do isn't going to be to check my phone and spend 30 minutes looking at social media. Instead, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm not going to look at that. And I'm going to spend that time to wait on the Lord to pray, and to spend time in stillness instead. And the idea is that every single day that I do these things, I am becoming a more patient person over time. Um, So I'm actually ordering my life around the ways of Jesus and the things that I saw Jesus do, and as a result, I'm changing. So it's the same thing with this. This is why we're doing this, is because I'm not just going to become a more generous, open person um, and hospitable person if I don't if I don't 
um, intentionally do something. I can't just be passive and expect that the Lord's going to magically do this in me. He is working in me, absolutely. Um, But I want to be intentional to partner with him. So I'm going to open my home. I'm going to invite people over. I'm going to have a meal with someone. Um, And I just want to be clear, too, that you don't have to have a home to do this. You don't have to have a spouse. Um, you can be hospitable regardless. Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have a spouse. He was very hospitable. He invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house, which is maybe rude um, for you to do. Um, but, I mean, in one sense, I accidentally did that to Nigel the other week, didn't I? I, I, I came up to Nigel and I said, oh, I, I've been checking in the calendar um, to see when Tom and I can next come over. And I realized that Nigel hadn't invited us over. It just, <laughs> but it was natural for me to say because we go over to Nigel and Sophie's. It's a normal thing. So I thought, hey. Um, but something cool Nigel said to me is he said, he said, actually, that makes sense because you're family. And it is. We're the family of God. Um, I'm one of those people where if someone calls something family that isn't family, I get a bit cringy about it. I don't like it. Um, but, <laughs> but it's true with Jesus and, and in the context of the body of Christ, we are family. Um, so even if you don't have your own place, like go to someone else's um, and you can have a meal with anyone anywhere. It doesn't need to be in your own home. It can be out. You can have a meal out. If you don't have the resources for that, pray about it. Ask God um, go to someone else's house. But sharing this time of communion together is important. It's I think we're missing a big part of the gospel if we forego it. Um, Is that good? Sounds good? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, So I'm just going to challenge us with some things before I end. Um, Yeah, okay, first challenge. Some of these might work for you, some might not. First challenge, have an intentional meal with someone. I think I've already said that. But schedule it in your calendar. Reach out to someone um, and one, when you're at the meal, really remember that I'm communing with the people here and I'm communing with God. And this is something that he's given me to, where I can enjoy him and I can enjoy his people. Really remember that. Um, if you feel that that's already a part of your life, that's something that you do, have a meal with someone who isn't like you. Have a meal with someone who doesn't talk like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't listen to your kind of music, watch your kind of shows, have your kind of politics, whatever it is. We're at a very diverse church, and we've got lots of different people that go to our church. But it's one thing to be able to say, oh, I go to a diverse church. But if you only hang out with your group within your diverse church, then I don't, don't know that there's much of a point to you going to your diverse church. Um, so <laughs> I would just say, reach out to someone who you don't know, who doesn't look like you. Um, look for the lonely. I had a friend tell me recently that the last time they came to church, they stayed for 30 minutes and then they left. There are people who need to notice those people who only come for 30 minutes and then they leave. There are people who need to notice that there's someone who always sits by themselves or who doesn't really talk to anyone and doesn't really know anyone and then goes. Um, Susan Ash said this really well. She said, we're good at saying hi to people, but are we good at welcoming them? Are we good at actually welcoming them into our lives and having them be a part of our lives? Um, So have an intentional meal with someone who isn't like you. Um, The third one, if you do that all the time too, well done. Um, The third one is to do exactly what Jesus says to do. Have a meal with the poor, the blind, the sick, the lame, and the crippled. Um, The next time you see someone on the street, you could give to them, which is beautiful, 
or you could actually go get food and you could sit and you could eat with them. You could share a meal with them. You could ask them what their life is like, how they got to where they are. Um, you could love them. You could have a conversation with them. Um, it's uncomfortable. Maybe it feels weird. Maybe it feels like you're not actually helping the person, like you're not actually making a difference in their life. But people need to be loved. The lonely need to be loved. The poor need to be loved. Um, so I would challenge you to do that. Um, yeah, hospitality has to include more than just my friends. Because um, it is beautiful. When Jesus has this passage where he says, don't invite your brothers or your sisters and all that, I don't think he's saying don't do that. I think he's saying we need, I think he was making a point that we need to invite the low. But it can't just include the people that I'm always comfortable with in my social circles. It's missing the gospel. It has to include those who are not like me, who don't have anyone else. That is the gospel, yeah? Um, yeah, so next time you're in a meal, practice communion. Remember what it is. It's God's, John Mark Comer says, it's God's warm welcome to the world. Um, so partake in that. It's a beautiful thing, and it will change you as a person. Um, when we go after this, we are becoming more like Jesus, right? Which is the goal, right? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I've got. Um, I just want to pray for you before I end. Um, yeah, thanks God so much for today. Thank you for just your presence in the room today. Thank you for how powerfully you moved in worship, Lord. Um, I just ask God that you would open every heart in the room, um, that you would open our eyes, God, to see the people in front of us differently, um, to see the, the homeless differently, to see the poor differently, to see them really as people. Um, and God, that we would be an extension of your hands and your feet, God, that we would live like you live on the earth, Lord, like how, how you lived on the earth, God. Um, that if you, were, uh, if you were us, God, here today, that we would be doing the things that you would be doing and loving the poor and the helpless, God. And I also just pray, Lord, that we would, we would find you in these things, that when we're, when we're having a meal with someone, when we're enacting these practices, Jesus, that we would find a new side of you, that we would um, see a new side of your face and, and fall in love with you in a deeper way, Jesus. And thank you for making your love available to us in these areas, God. We love you so much. Amen.